Our lives are filled with many things. What is your life filled with? Our lives can be full of joy and happiness. They can also be filled with anxiety, stress, and worry. So let me ask the question again. What is your life filled with? I've met people that are filled with joy. And they are so filled with joy that even when troubled times come, the joy shines through the trial. I've met people that are so filled with anxiety and worry that even when there are good times and good news, there is still a sense of foreboding and stress. Our lives can be filled with so many things, but there's one thing that God wants our lives to be filled with. What's that? Faith. Faith. God wants us to have and possess great faith in our lives. The Christian's life should be filled with and marked by great faith in God, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're continuing in our series called Miracles, Miracles in the Gospel of Matthew. And tonight we come to a miracle that Jesus performed where he cast a demon out of a girl. And yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about demons tonight on Halloween night. But in this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 15, we'll see that it was the great faith of this girl's mother that got the attention of Jesus. Jesus actually says to her that she had great faith. And that's exactly what we need in our lives. So we're going to look at this miracle of Jesus freeing a girl from demon possession and see by the account how this mother's faith is an example to us all, an example to us all tonight to have great faith in our lives. And so if you're taking notes, I've got a couple points tonight for you. The first one is this, a great faith positions your life for mercy. A great faith positions your life for mercy. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. It says this, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Right here in this passage of Scripture that we're going to read tonight, that some of it we've already read here, Jesus went out, the Bible says here, that he went out to the, the region of Tyre and Sidon. He went out from Galilee. Galilee was kind of the center of his ministry, the, the central location of his ministry. But here he goes out to the area of Tyre and Sidon, and this would be modern-day Lebanon. And uh, he goes out to this area, Tyre and Sidon. Actually, it used to be called Tyre, the Tyre Kingdom. So anyways, whenever, whenever you see... Whenever you see Tire Kingdom, you say, yeah, in fact, I need to go to Tire Kingdom right after the service. And some of you noticed I have a flat tire out there. So I actually will be going to the Tire Kingdom. Um, but Jesus actually made his way to the Tire Kingdom here, this area of Tyre and Sidon. And these, this was a Canaanite area. 
Canaanite area of, of the history. Uh, and it, it, it was a center of extreme idolatry and uh, sin. And it, it, was just, it was just like that in that sense. And so Jesus went up to this area. And while Jesus and his disciples were there, a Canaanite woman came to them. The gospel writer Matthew identifies her as being a Canaanite, uh, a woman of Canaan, and therefore a Gentile and not a Jew. And so this is what is being made clear to us in this particular description. But there was something about this woman. Yes, she was a Canaanite. Yes, she was a Gentile. Yes, she was from the Tyre kingdom. But there was something different about this woman we're going to see tonight. She had great faith. She had not just faith, great faith. And that's what we want to have in our lives, a great faith in our lives. Amen? Now, the, the point here is a great faith will position your life for mercy. This woman, she cries out to Jesus. She says, have mercy on me. Why did she call upon Jesus? Why was she there calling out to Jesus? Well, she had great faith, and she had faith to believe that Jesus could do something about the situation in her family, specifically in her girl. And she cries out to him, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And so there's, there's this aspect that a great faith will position your life for great mercy. First, I want to show you there's a few things that we can learn even from her statement as she cries out to the Lord. There's some things that we can learn about faith and a great faith that, that this can even teach us. The first one is this, that the desire of great faith is mercy. The desire of great faith is mercy. She had great faith, and that great faith moved her out and moved her out into a place to, to there she was, and she was in the presence of Jesus, and she cried out to him. And what did she cry out for? Mercy. And that's exactly what a great faith in our lives will do. The desire of great faith is mercy. Whatever kind of mercy that we need of, a great faith will put us in a position to, to receive that mercy. Why? Because we're believing upon him. We're believing upon Christ and we have that desire for his mercy to flow out into our lives. It might be a healing that we need. That's mercy. Amen. It might be forgiveness. It might be some other thing that, that we have need of, but it's mercy that we need. And, and the desire of faith is mercy. If you have faith to believe God for healing, your desire is the mercy of the Lord. If you have faith to believe God for salvation, even, your desire is the mercy of the Lord. And so our faith should desire mercy. And I want to say something else, too. Not only should our faith desire mercy, but our faith that we have present in our lives should give mercy. We should be so wanting, desiring mercy and freely giving mercy, amen, in our lives. We need to be people that are about mercy. Do you give mercy? Do you give mercy? I think we learned that even from the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, right? Or do you hold grudges? Do you hold on to stuff? Do you let, you know, I'm not going to forgive them for a while. No, we're, we're people that we're seeking mercy and in order to receive mercy, we need to be people that give, freely give mercy as well. Are you quick to forgive or do you hold on to a thing? I think we need to be those people that are, are quick to forgive. 
Secondly, the thing that we can learn from this woman's great faith is this. A great faith recognizes who Jesus is. A great faith recognizes who Jesus is. This woman, she recognized that Jesus is the son of David. She said, she said, Lord, son of David, Jesus, son of David. Now, many of Jesus' own people didn't know who he was, <laughs> you know? Many of his own people, we learn that even in our text, you know, where, you know, where we've read in, in John and other places, he came into his own, he came to his own stuff, he came to his own people, and they didn't receive him. They didn't know. They didn't know who he was. But for some reason, this woman, a Canaanite, a woman in Tyre and in Sidon, she knows who Jesus is. She knows that he's the son of David. And, you know, really, when you see the term son of David in the book of Matthew, Matthew was written to Jews uh, in a way to show them that he was, that Jesus was the Christ, the, the, the son of Abraham, the son of David. In fact, Matthew 1, 1 opens up with the genealogy of Jesus, and I think that's how it opens up. Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And, and so this is, this is a great theme in this particular book. And, and this woman, she knows who Jesus is. And let me put it this way tonight. A real faith, a great faith, recognizes who Jesus is and is placed firmly in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. A real faith, a great faith, recognizes who Jesus is and is placed firmly in the person of Jesus Christ. Her request to Jesus, the son of David, the Lord, her request was for her daughter, whom she said was severely demon-possessed, severely demon-possessed. And I don't know, I mean, if there's, a, if there's just, you know, slightly demon-possessed and severely demon-possessed, but, you know, I mean, I think I, you could probably put it all in that category, and you can, you can you just see the, the heart of this mother just pleading with, with Jesus to, to deal with this situation. But it does bring up a topic, and I, and I said in the opening we, we would uh, talk about demons tonight because it's right here in our passage. This little girl is severely demon-possessed. And I think it raises the question, I think it's a good question uh, for 21st century Christians uh, to ask the question, what is a demon? Um, I think most people feel like they probably have an answer to the question, and I did actually for a long time, uh, and, and, and maybe this is it. Many quickly and simply conclude that a demon is one of the fallen angels. The, the, you had the, the angels that, uh, remember, there was a third of the, the heavenly host that, that went with uh, the rebellion of Lucifer, of Satan, and, and of course they were cast out of heaven and all the rest of it. And you, and you have this host of heaven, you have these angels. And I have to tell you tonight that for many, many, many years, this, this was probably, if you would have asked me, this was the, probably the position I would have taken on the subject. Uh, I've come to a different conclusion as far as what a demon is uh, upon uh, further study, specifically studying this portion of theology called demonology. Uh, and I've come to a different conclusion. I'll just share a little bit of that with you tonight. You see, you don't really see demons at all in the Old Testament. Uh, you, you, don't see, you don't see demons. You see angels uh, throughout, mentioned throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you don't see demons. And then you come to the New Testament all of a sudden and you see demon possession as an epi epidemic 
It's not like, you know, they're running into one or two people. I mean, you sit down and read the Gospels. I mean, you like to think that, like, you know, half the people are demon-possessed somehow because that's how much of this uh, situation that Jesus encountered as he would go into these different areas uh, uh, in, that, in, that, in that particular time. And so the question becomes, really, what, what is a demon? What are demons? Uh, from the facts of the Bible concerning demons, they, they really, when you look at just it, it on a very surface level, they're disembodied spirits. You could call them evil spirits. They're disembodied spirits. They're, they're disembodied. And what is it that they are always searching for? Every time we come to a demon, they're searching for to be embodied or to not be disembodied. You say, what? Yeah, there was a time when Jesus went into the area of Gadara and he confronted a man that was possessed by many, many demons. And here Jesus is having a conversation with the demons and, and the request of the demons, these evil spirits is, and it shows us what the mentality of the demons is. There's a lot to learn in there. You want to study that passage about demonology. But the, the, the request was, don't, don't just cast us out, at least send us into the swine. And the request is, we don't want to be disembodied. Why? Because an evil spirit, a demon, is a disembodied spirit that is just aimlessly wandering in the darkness of this world. And, and, and throughout the earth and throughout the world. And so you have, you have a disembodied spirit, you have a demon. And that explains why they have the desire to possess a body, a human body, or on that particular occasion, uh, the, the, the uh, swine that were there in Gadara. And there's much to say about the, uh, the, the swine there on that particular occasion. Of course, they weren't, he did, he did actually grant their request and cast them into the swine. And of course, the swine then just went down the hill into the, the sea and all the swine were killed. And so I guess they actually did become, at that point, disembodied spirits. Once again, going back into their place of craving bodies to inhabit. So what are demons? Where do these evil spirits come from? And why is it that you suddenly you come to the New Testament and you see these things? Uh, demons, really, you have this occurrence in, in Genesis chapter 6. You have this, this thing that happened. And I think it's important for Christians today to understand this because as we get further and deeper into the end times and the days where things uh, possibly are drawing to a close, we know that Jesus said that as things were in the days of Noah, so they will be at the end of the day uh, nearing, near to his coming. Well, a lot of people say, well, the days of Noah, that was a flood. No, that was a very small portion of a guy who lived over 900 years old. Old. So when you look at the days of Noah, the days of the flood are, 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 are like a speck on a dartboard compared to the days of Noah, the 900 years that he lived. And what was it that marked the days of Noah was what happened in Genesis chapter 6 when we have the sons of God, the Beneha Elohim, that came down and, and in that sense, procreated with the daughters of men and created what is, was the race of the giants. And so you have the giants that were in the land, the men of renown, 
You have this, uh, this race, the, the, the term, the biblical term is the Nephilim. The Nephilim, it actually means the fallen. And you have the Nephilim. And so here's what happened. One of the things, when you look at the, the flood of Noah, and a lot of people, and it was, it was an evil time. The Bible says there in Genesis that the, the, the corruption, um, and, and it was, was filling the earth. And um, one of the interesting things there too is that it talks about all flesh being corrupted all flesh being corrupted. And when it comes to Noah and it says he was perfect in his generations, what that term, that sentence there in Genesis is actually talking about, he was, it's actually the word uh, tahim in Hebrew, he was unblemished in his genetics. And so he, he was, his flesh was not corrupted. And that's why God selected him because he was going to deal with the corruption and the mixture that had happened by these, these, uh, these, these watchers, these fallen angels that had brought all this corruption in. So when the flood comes, you have all these Nephilim that are, are killed in the flood. They're, they're drowned in the flood. And so now their spirit, because they were, they were, created from above the people, creatures that were of the, the, the hosts uh, above, their spirit is now a disembodied spirit. So this is what you have with demons. Now, let me, let me just further make the case and then we'll move on because we don't want to just bog the whole Bible study down with this, because although you could spend hours and hours and hours studying this. But the difference between a demon in an angel, you never see an angel in the Old Testament or the New Testament, a disembodied angel. You always see, if you, if you read the Old Testament, if you put the whole Bible cover to cover, you see angels who actually have a body. Now, this body is a supernatural body. It's, 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 uh, it's transdimensional or hyperdimensional, you could say, in that, in that uh, respect. But they, they have a body. Here, when you have a demon, you have a disembodied evil spirit. And that is why when you come to the New Testament, you have this explosion of demon possession that is happening. And here we, we find it in this particular uh, passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 15. And let me just say as an aside, this is why that God is so against uh, what's called necromancy. And this is actually the whole concept. And it's very popular. This is, it's, it's funny how when you get into these subjects, you say, well, how is this relevant to anything? Well, it's very relevant because you see all these TV shows, you see all these people that want to claim to speak into the, into the spirit world, into the dark world and speak to, well, we're going we're gonna to have a big crowd of people. And we're going to speak to you know, your, 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 your dead grandma, your dead grandpa, your great grandfather. from No, 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 no. God, God says, do not do this stuff. Do not do this stuff because you are dealing in, 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 in evil and corruption and in, in the evil spirit world that, that you, you do not want to play around with. And that's why throughout the Bible, this is forbidden and you don't want to get involved in it. Now, how can you um, become demon-possessed and who can become demon-possessed? Well, we, we believe that a Christian person cannot be demon-possessed because we are filled with the Spirit of God. We actually have, our, our house, if you will, has been filled 
with the Spirit of God. And so, so a Christian, a true Christian, a person who's actually born again of, uh, of God cannot be demon-possessed. But you can open yourself up. People who are not saved can open themselves up to demon possession in a variety of different ways. Getting into the occult, uh, and actually the, another angle is the um, drug abuse and alcohol abuse is, is a gateway, um, really a, a, an open door uh, to, 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 the, to demons and, and that type of possession. Uh, and, and it's a serious issue. In fact, um, it's, it's, it's recently, in I say the last 10 years or so, there was almost this new fascination uh, with these guys going around and trying to talk to the dead and all this. And, I, and, and you know, Christians can get, you can go, oh, well, well yeah, you know, I want to talk to so-and-so too. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> There's going to be a time and a place for that. And talking into the spirit world and opening yourself up to that is not the way or the path that God has laid out for the, for the Bible-believing Christian. Um, so anyways, so she's got this uh, demon possession of her little girl, and her cry is that, that she would be made whole, that she would be healed, that this demon or demons would be cast out of her little girl. So this is why she is making the, the petition. Uh, and, and it's a very serious subject and a serious request that this woman is making, which leads us to our next point tonight. A great faith spurs you towards petition. A great faith spurs you towards petition. Let's pick it up. Let's go back to verse 23 and pick it up there. It says this, but he answered her not. She, she, she cried out in verse 22, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And so a great faith spurs you on toward petition. Jesus had what was, it appears to many who have looked at this passage, who have read it. And maybe even as I just read it to you. You read it and you see the response of Jesus. Here's this woman. Her, her daughter is severely demon-possessed. She's calling him the son of David. She's saying, have mercy on me, Lord. And here is Jesus saying, you know, I, I, I haven't come to, but, but, but to the lost house of, you know, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I, I, and, and some have, have actually, you know, said that it was a cold response in that sense from the Lord. There, there, was, there was a coldness uh, in the response to the request of the Gentile woman, it says here in the text, it says, but he answered her, not a word. Uh, and you think, you know, you think when you're making a request to the Lord and you, you think, yeah, I can relate to that one. It seems like he's answering me, not a word. Um, Augustine actually put it this way. The word spoke, not a word. 
um, on this particular occasion. And, and, um, and, and though this appears to us as cold, it certainly was not the response that this mother wanted, but it did not deter her. It did not deter her at all. She, she keeps going. She, in, in that sense, it's almost like she gets going from that. <laughs> she gets going. A great faith will spur you toward petition. And a great faith is not easily discouraged. A great faith pushes you continually forward. And that's exactly what we see with this particular woman. She keeps going. And, and, and Jesus says in verse 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Of course, Jesus had come to minister and to preach and to preach the kingdom to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we know from the scriptures all the way through it that, that salvation is first of the Jews. It's first of the Jews. And, and um, to explain that in, in a way for all of us to understand tonight, it goes all the way back to the, to the foundation of the faith when God separated the people. And, and, when, and when people decided they didn't want to follow God, they didn't want to obey God's commandments, we said, I don't, we don't want to follow you, God. And God said, okay, you don't want to obey me. You don't want me to be your God. Well, then what he did is he came down at Babel and he split the, 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 the population up. He, and Deuteronomy 32 tells us how he did it. He split them up to these fallen gods, these fallen angels. And so they all, there's a principality in, in, in high places in, 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 in the nations of the world. And when God did this and he separated the people out according to these, these nations and according to these sons of God, the Beneha Elohim that were fallen, he said, but, but Israel, but Jacob will be my portion. So, so what God said is, look, you don't want to serve me. Fine. I'm going to separate out to here, here. Here you go. Here's a God that you can worship. And he says, but I'm going to have a portion. I'm going to have a people in this world. And if you turn the page from Genesis chapter 11 at the dispersion from Babel, you turn the page to Genesis chapter 12, and what do you have? You have God finding a man in Ur of the Chaldees and, and, and calling him out of Babel, out of Babylon to come. And I, he says to him, come and follow me, and I will take you to a place that I will show you, and it will give, I will give you an inheritance, and you will be the father of many nations. And of course, you have the whole Abrahamic covenant. So that is just a two-minute version of what the biblical theology is on salvation as first of the Jews, because the world had rejected God. But God said, I will have a people in the earth. And how do you be part of one of those? How do you find yourself as one of those people? By doing exactly what Abraham did, believing the word of the Lord that he comes and speaks to you. That's how it happens. Justification by faith in the word of God and what he has done on the cross of Calvary. So, so um, she, Jesus says that I have not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And uh, she keeps going. <laughs> you, just, you just really start to really love this woman, don't you? You know, as you read this passage, you know, she, Jesus is saying this to her. And then uh, verse 25, okay, she, so Jesus says this, look, woman, I have not come to the Gentiles, the Canaanites. I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25, then she came and worshiped him and said, Lord, help me. Don't ever give up. Seeking the Lord. Don't ever, if you feel like he's answered you not a word, 
Or maybe he said something to you that you're like, ah, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Keep worshiping. Look at this woman. She, she, worship, she comes to him worshiping, saying, help me, Lord. I mean, is it to say, Lord, I don't know about all that, but I know, Lord, that, that you're the son of David. I worship you, and I need your help. And, and, and don't let anything like that deter our faith, but continue to move forward in great faith for what we're believing God for in our lives. She just kept going. She just kept going. The disciples had encouraged Jesus to send her away. The, the, the verse there where the disciples were urging her, they said, uh, they said to Jesus, send her away. For she cries out after us. I think in the language, one of the commentators actually said that the language there kind of carries the idea of just, you know, give her her request, grant her request, and let's keep moving. Because she's just, you know, calling out after us. She's just she's tenacious. She's tenacious. And don't you love that? Now, there are a few things that we notice about the great faith of this woman that we want to take note of. She came and worshiped him. A great faith is a worshiping faith. Amen? We need to continue to worship the Lord. Sometimes we don't understand what seems like no response from the Lord. Or in this case, what might even seem a cold response. And maybe we get that cold response or what we think is a cold response from the Lord. And, and I think a great faith keeps going. A great faith keeps worshiping God. I think Job had it right. In Job 13, 15, Job put it this way, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I think one translation says, even though he slay me, yet will I praise him, right? So, you know, I think the idea there is the cold response or whatever it is, keep going in your faith, keep pressing toward the Lord. And she continued to do that. Second, she continued her petition of the Lord on behalf of her daughter, a great faith is a dedicated faith. She kept, she kept going. She was dedicated. She was devoted to this cause. You know, another thing to, to note here, that this wasn't even her personal cause. That's kind of an interesting thing. And it actually brings, you know, sheds some light on the issue of pleading the case to God on, the, on behalf of someone else. This whole concept of intercession and praying for others. And, and here she is. This isn't even her own personal cause, although, yes, she is the mother. But she is persevering and she's devoted to, to persevering in this cause. And a great faith is a dedicated faith. We have to have a dedicated faith. The question for us is, do we easily give up when we're petitioning the Lord for something? How easy, how quickly is it that we give up? Or, 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 or does our faith persevere? I'm reminded of the man that was healed by Jesus the day that, he showed, that Jesus showed up at the, at the pool of Bethesda. Remember that in John chapter 5, here Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda uh, there, and, and this was a pool that, uh, you know, as it were, the, 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 here's how it went, you'd have all the, the people that needed to be healed out by this pool of Bethesda, and, and I guess as it were, the, the angel, the angel of the Lord or whatever would come down and stir the water, and the first one into the pool would be healed. And so on this particular occasion, Jesus comes into the pool and here, here he is, here's all the infirmed there waiting 
for that pool, that water to be stirred and, and, and to get down into that pool and somehow be healed. And, and the text there in, in John chapter 5 tells us that this man was there for 38 years. 38 years. 38 years, actually. I don't know if that rings any bells, but it, it, it can actually be a, a, a number representing the futility of, of not having faith or not obeying God. It was 38 years that the, the, the Israelites wandered around the, Isra- uh, uh, the wilderness. Amen? You say, no, it wasn't. It was 40. No, it was 38. Because they spent almost two years at Sinai receiving the law and the instructions for the tabernacle, the priesthood, the, the Levitical sacrificial system. So by the time they come to, to Kadesh Barnea and Moses sends in the the 12 spies, it's, it's, it's been nearly two years. And so when they came back with the report not to believe uh, the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, but they believed the report of the other 10, again, talking about the giants, the Nephilim, you know, Numbers 13, or, uh, uh, 1333 talks about how the perception of the spies and how the giants were, uh, you know, so much larger than they were. And they said, we were like grasshoppers. And it says, uh, in our sight and theirs, it's actually from, you know, the idea is actually, they said from both perspectives, we were like grasshoppers compared to them. And they did not trust the Lord to, to, um, that God had, had given them the land. And so what did they do? They wandered around the desert for 38 years. And so here was this guy, and for 38 years he's at the pool. And God's come, Jesus comes up to him on that particular occasion. He says, do you want to be well? Now, that's kind of an interesting question, because if you got a guy laying out by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, I mean, the guy wants to be well. Amen. But yet here the question comes, the question comes to him and Jesus says, do you want to be well? And What was his response? He says, yeah, but every time the water's stirred, I, I, I can't get down into the pool fast enough. You know, you think of that passage and you think of here's this guy. Man. He's out there for 38 years. He wants to get down into that water. And I, and I actually pictured this in my, in my mind. I pictured there he is by the pool and the water is stirred. And here he's going to try to get, and, and, and he's trying to get up out of his thing and, and roll over there or whatever. And, and, and there's somebody's beat, it, beat him to it. And somebody beat him to it for 38 years until Jesus Christ walks into the pool of Bethesda that day and says, do you want to be made well? And he says, yeah, but I can't get into the pool. And you know what Jesus simply said? Just take up your mat and be healed, and walk, and God healed him, and so, you know, man, there's so many passages like that in the Bible that, you know, you, we think that we've been petitioning the Lord for a few years on something, we think we've, uh, we, we, we've, we've put in some dues, you know, we paid some dues, you know, and every time I come to these passages, I, I, I get blown away by get these guys that, you know, Joseph always comes to mind, you know, here's a guy that was given a dream, that, you know, that, all this was going to happen in his life. And of course, his brothers sell him into slavery, he ends up at Potiphar's house, ends up being framed uh, for trying to, 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 to seduce Potiphar's wife. He ends up spending, as it were, about 20 years in prison before the day that, was it the butler that remembered him? And, and he was called by Pharaoh up out of the dungeon and was cleaned up to stand before Pharaoh and interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. 
And it's always a reminder for me. You know, in the, in the life of Joseph, the message is, even in all that, he, kept, he, he never gave up in just being that man of the Lord. Um, and how easy it is for us to be discouraged. And I, hey, I can get, I, I'm, I'm one of these optimists. You know, I'm, I'm, I will find the silver lining. I will find the way to look at it from a positive angle. But even the best of us optimists can get uh, discouraged. But you know what? I think it's not about necessarily being an optimist, but a person of great faith is really the key. Amen? Uh, being a person of great faith, because we'll put our faith and trust not in our optimism or our our outlook, but in a God who can do something about our situation. Amen? So, look, let's finish this up. She says, he says to her, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. You say, what? What? What on earth is Jesus talking to this woman, talking about throwing bread to the little dogs? Again, this, it, it, it talks about that idea, that concept, that, that salvation through Yahweh was of the Jews. And those outside the commonwealth, Paul talks, picks up these themes, outside the commonwealth, far away from the household of faith, those in that position were... As it were, Jesus is saying, like little dogs. Now you say, now is she, is Jesus calling someone a dog? I mean, and can we do that? And and get away with it. I believe, I was reading one of the commentators and and he said it this way. He said, the harshest word dogs contains a loophole. Dogs does not compare Gentiles to dogs without in the street, but to the household dogs. Belonging to the family, which have their portion, though not the children's portion. It's the little dogs. And so he says, I'm not going to give the bread even to the little dogs. And then she persists again. Man, if you read this passage, you've got, we've got to be encouraged, folks, to keep going in our faith and keep believing and never giving up. She keeps going, and she says, yes, Lord. And here's the key phrase, yet even. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, I don't have a dog, much less a little dog. But, but my sister and brother-in-law, they have some little dogs. And Belle... And Molly, Belle and Molly. And when you come to the house, they will greet you. And you can tell Becca that Belle, Belle, and Molly made the sermon. They will come. Now, in a house with dogs, a house with little dogs, and I've seen it, some people, some owners are very strict. No, they don't eat off the table. Send them in the other room with the dog. They've got their own little trough. But I've seen some other people where that, you know, the dog comes up and you're eating and, and they will come up and just kind of stare at you, you know, with these puppy dog eyes. I'm not moved by it. 
Some other people are moved by it. I'm not moved by it. But so the, the people that have that kind of compassion in their life, they, they, they look at the puppy dog eyes and they say, oh, okay, here, here's a piece of bread or something. And, and, and you can guarantee that if they don't get a piece of bread handed down by the owner, and I've, and I've seen this in action, you can guarantee they will get the crumbs that fall from the table. Amen. In fact, it's a boast of dog owners that they don't have to be sweeping up the floor all the time in the kitchen <laughs> because the dogs will get the crumbs. And so this is the response that she has. She says, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. The, the woman responded with great faith. She admitted her low estate and did not debate the issue when Jesus called her one of the little dogs. She did not demand to be seen as a child, but only to be blessed as a little dog. She says, yet even the little dogs. Yet even. We need a yet even. We need to come to the Lord, yet even. Amen. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, Jesus performs the miracle. Verse 28 there. Jesus performs the miracle. And, here's, and here is what Jesus says to this woman. He says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And I think this is one of the great moments in the New Testament. I think this is one of the great moments of Jesus speaking to someone. And, you know, you talk about going down in the, in the annals of Scripture, and you know, being up there on, you know, certainly the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with the spikenard of oil and all that. She's, you know, Jesus said, you know, the gospel won't even be preached when it's preached without you being mentioned. And here, this Gentile woman from from the Tyre kingdom, O oh, woman, great is your faith. In, in closing tonight, let the faith of this woman encourage you tonight in your faith. Continue to worship God. No matter what you're going through, continue to worship him. You will, as you wait upon him, as you worship him, you will renew your strength. And, and we will mount up with wings as eagles. Amen? Continue to trust Continue to put your trust in him. Continue to petition. Have great faith. Why? Because we serve a God who is all-powerful, and at any moment, he has the power to grant our desire. 